This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Calhoun. And what a day this is. We have two Michaels here and two Gregs here. There's only four people in the whole (laughs) KMOX and they're... Only two names. Unbelievable. So, really cool. Good to see you. Yeah, nice to see you, too. Yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. It's been a little bit. All I right. think the last time I filled in was when Maria Kina was still the, the co-host on the weekend. So, it was a little nerve-wracking <laughs> doing it by myself, but <laughs> very thanks to cool. Greg Harvey right here for helping get me through. Absolutely. Very cool. Good job. And, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the Good Gardening Stroll shortly. Questions, concerns, or comments... 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. On Saturday mornings, we get together and we discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your house plants, your potting mixes, soil improvements, whether you should be doing pruning, what is that bug that's causing this problem, what I should remove, what should stay in, should I transplant, can I still plant, or whatever's going on in your outdoor world of plants or indoors. So you might have, what's wrong with my orchid? My orchids are not blooming, and I see them all over the place, and they're blooming in other people's homes. Hmm. Well, please remember my words, open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part in this great marathon, and that's what taking care of plants is, is a marathon, unless you just sort of like uh, don't care. You just let them sink and die. Oh, well. Who cares? No, you do care, and that's why you're here on the Garden Hotline. This is your show, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg Harvey. He's, again, producing today. It's been a couple months now that he's produced the Garden Hotline. It makes it very smooth and easy when you have somebody that knows my insanities, and he can compensate for those very easily. I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994, I've written five gardening books, and uh, two are currently available in various locations, and I do write articles for the Missouri Gardener Magazine, which is a magazine that comes out uh, six times a year, every two months. And during the week, I do landscape consulting, and uh, which I call a walk and talk. So you can go to my website if you like, mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage, there's my email address and my phone number where I can be reached, and we can set up a time for me to come to your home. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And it steps off right now. The sign read, 15-minute parking for tickets only. So you park for 15 minutes and you get a ticket. I don't know. All the windows read, close. Those are the ticket windows. And instead, I went around and parked on Spruce because I didn't want to break any rules. And uh, all of a sudden, I started hearing all this noise. And it was construction noise, and that was to the north. It was just a little bit past 6. So Dizzy Dean, Ina Slaughter, Ozzy Smith, Bob Gibson, and others, those, big, those great statues, 
they were there, and the construction was just across the street. There is a giant crane above. I don't know how many stories that crane is, but it is huge. So um, everything was just kind of, I was just shocked to see people construction-wise out there working this early. So I started walking around the plant material. There was trees that had some great lichens on the trunk. That's that kind of grayish blue stuff growing on the trunk that sometimes people are concerned with. Doesn't really hurt. The bracts, that's the spent flowers of the oak leaf hydrangea were hanging on. There were some white begonias, red leaf coleus. They were all swaying to the breeze. Maple trees were starting to show the tips of their leaves changing colors. So this must mean fall. Underneath the beds, there was where these crabapple beds, well, well, there's crabapple trees, and the fruits were dangling off the crabapples as well. It's a good indication that fall is on the way. There was some maroon leaf-colored sweet potato vines. There was some liriope, some more white begonias, and angel wing begonias as well. They were partnering with red-bladed fountain grasses. Third base, number three gate, backdrops a Stan Musial statue, surrounded by boxwood hedge, neatly trimmed, some more fountain grass, only not the maroon leaf fountain grass. Cannas were there, still in some of them in flower. Red leaf coleus as well. Yellow creeping jenny was kind of like sticking its nose out from underneath some of the boxwood. And what you, but the area is really totally dominated by, guess what? Red coleus. The statue reads, if you go around to the back side, Stanley Frank Musial, 1920 to 2013. And there's a, I mean, when you look at the, the patio area or, you know, I guess the, I don't know what you would call it, the panorama or the walkway that's behind the statue is really kind of cool. There's hundreds and hundreds of names where people have dedicated or donated money for various causes. And, you know, some of them have Stan Musial's name. Some have like kind of a, an icon of his look where he's getting ready to hit another home run. And it's just absolutely amazing. And then also there's like a baseball done kind of in cut stone. You know, I mean, it's flat, but it lists all the achievements that Stan Musial did during his career as a baseball player. It's unbelievable. You could spend probably uh, close to an hour, I mean, looking at all the names of people who donated to the cause of Stan Musial, and then all the records and all the things he did during his career. I mean, some of them were just individual, like, game situations where he had a home run and won the game, or he did this, or he did that. So, I mean, the guy was absolutely unbelievable. So, that was a good gardening stroll today. It was kind of cool. I mean, I do have flip-flops on, and I do have shorts on, but I did wear a jacket, so... It is cool out there, but it's a great time to be outside taking a look at your yard. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll be back right after these spots. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments. Maybe if you live a little bit out of the metro area, how about temperature-wise? Has there been any frost yet? I don't think so, but uh, that was one of the concerns that uh, I think I heard somebody talking about some of the extensions of the metro area in some of the valleys or something, but not yet. I don't think there's been any frost, but it could be soon. So 
get yourself ready, get your garden ready, and um, get out and take a look. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Donaldson, Illinois, that's where Danny lives. Danny, how are you today? Doing good, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Uh, I heard you talking about the bulbs that are sold through Brightside St. Louis. Yes. And uh, I ordered a, a package of the uh, Red Darwin tulips. And I was wondering, would this be a good weekend to do it, or would you hold off another week or two before putting them in the ground? I usually put them in like the week of Halloween, but that's just my own first, you know, my own deal. If you feel like planting them, if you've got your soil, you know, get your soil prepared and everything else, right. you could certainly do it. I mean, there's no problem. A lot of people say pretty much anything after like the first week or so in October, especially when it's, you know, really warm like it was. It's not going to do all that much difference waiting, you know, a week or two, but uh, I just have my own sort of like screwy schedule in my mind. Okay, second question. I've got a catalpa tree that just voluntarily came up out in the pasture, and my guess is it, it came from a, a seed from a tree that's uh, probably 100 yards or so away from it, and I'm wanting to transplant it to the yard. The tree is about I don't know, it's probably eight foot tall right now, and maybe the trunk of it's as big around as, oh, probably like a wiffle ball bat or so. Uh, what kind of advice would you give me on doing that? I've transplanted some trees in the past, but uh, nothing that's uh, the same situation as this. Right. Basically, the day or the night before that you're going to do this, you know, get some water out to it and water the root system or the root zone very well. And probably you want to go out with a tree of that size. I'm sure you're you're strong, or you can get some help, or whatever. The root ball plus a tree is going to be pretty darn heavy. So okay. I'm assuming you're going to be able to move it with a you know tractor or right. you know, whatever. But uh, I would say probably the root ball should be at least maybe 24 inches across, so 12 inches on each side of the trunk. That would okay. be the minimum, maybe 14 inches, and go down at least one spade deep. And that okay. should be an adequate root system. Have the area that you're going to move it to, you know, prepared, the hole prepared. Now, I like to plant, you know, things high. So, in other words, you want to dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about 80% as deep as the root ball. So, in other words, I want the top of the crown, which is where the root system and the trunk meet, above the surrounding ground in case there is any settling or things like that because, you know, on most trees, you don't want any kind of settling around the trunk because water could settle there and cause a root rot situation. Okay, so I want a little bit of it out of the ground, about 20%, you said. Right, 20% maximum, but it could be anything in that zone. Yeah, I just planned on, once I got got it dug up around, I was just going to wrap a strap around it and pick it up with the loader and move it over. So moving it shouldn't be a problem once I get it. I was just curious on how far to go out with the root ball. So you say probably even 14 inches would be Yeah, 14 ideal. inches on, yeah. So like 28, or you could go, I mean, as long as you've got equipment like that, you, the size of the root ball is going to be to the advantage of the tree as far as acclimating to the new spot. Okay. All right. And uh, just prepare the hole ahead of time. And an old timer who taught me a lot about planting trees, he always used to throw a handful of rusty nails in the bottom of the hole. And uh, he said that provided iron for the root ball. And uh, I've did that with every tree I've planted in the past and had good success. So I imagine I'll do that as well. Sounds perfect. All right. Thanks for your advice, Mike. Yep. 
And what you know, I'm assuming that the nails are going to be iron. And so also for anybody, you know, that's not going to necessarily use nails, know that if your soil does it has adequate iron in it, but the pH is high. So in other words, the pH is alkaline, salty. Then the tree doesn't recognize you know, the sort of the iron that's there. So that's why sulfur, the iron sulfate, a lot of times is one of the recommended things to add to soil. So thanks, Danny. And now let's stay in Illinois and go to Redbud, Illinois. Linda, how are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, someone gave me for my birthday this year a little tree. It's called Molten Show 4-Inch Bonsai. And it's planted like in looks like gravel and i was just wondering uh the little card that usually says how to take care of it isn't in there so i was wondering how should i take care of it do i just water it and leave it in sun or or does it not like a lot of sun or or what should i do with it now is this like a classic bonsai tree so in other words it Uh, has a, a let's say a fancy dish or is this just in a pot it's just in a pot. So a regular, like, plastic nursery pot? Yes. Okay, so in other words, are you uh, that particular tree, I'm not sure it's going to be hardy in the outdoors. So I think probably it needs to come inside in a sunny window. Well, that's where I, that's where I set it at when I brought it okay. home this week. And I, I just set it in the window and gave it a little bit of water, but I don't know. If I should give a lot of water. No, no, not a lot. A Definitely bit. not a lot. And then no, nothing that's inside this time of year as the day length gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Oh, overwatering this time of year is really detrimental to the plant material, just regardless of what it is. So probably wow. I would say I'm sure the gravel that you're saying that's on the top is just more or less decoration. I might pull the gravel away from at least part of the inside of the pot rim and wait until the actual soil is dry enough that it starts shrinking away from the inside of the pot so you see a slight gap there. Then I would water at that time. But definitely don't overwater. Your underwatering is going to be much more to the advantage than overwatering this time of year. Okay. And oh, do I, I've got some fertilizer that I've been using for my philodendrons, and they've always done great. Right. Uh, should I use that same type of of uh, fertilizer in this plant also? Uh, You could use the same type, but no fertilizer this time of year whatsoever. No fertilizer until we're coming out of wintertime and the day length starts getting longer. Oh, so like March or something like that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. And then I'm I'm assuming it's, it's a little conifer, so it's an evergreen. And you probably, in reality, the best thing you could do is get some fertilizer that has like some iron sulfate in it. So in other words, a fertilizer that's for acid-loving plants. It'll say it right on the box. Like Scott's makes it, uh, you know, Peter's makes it, all the companies make them fertilizers for a specific type of plants. So the one that you, for your your philodendron is probably fine, but my tendency would be to buy one that's specifically for plants that like an acid, you know, more an acid, which has sulfur in it and it has iron in it than the regular type fertilizers. Okay. That'll take care of it. Then I, I just didn't know, you know, just what to do with it. Yeah. Sunny window and don't overwater. 
That's probably the I secret. I got it in my kitchen window, and that's a real sunny place. So. Perfect. <laughs> okay, thank you, Mike. Yep, enjoy. And now let's go to St. Peter's and go into Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hi. I've got a couple questions. Uh, I've got uh, elephant ears that are in a big pot outside. And I want to know, what do you do to prepare them for uh, wintertime? Uh, I've got the same thing. I've been growing elephant ears in pots and cannas in pots for years. So what I do is basically... I don't necessarily like to you know wait until let's say the frost kills you know the foliage so everything is kind of yicky and sticky and everything else. So when I start to feel that you know we might get to a point where the frost would actually knock the elephant ears down, a few days before that I just cut all the foliage off of them. Then if the pot is you know, if you can some way either dig the elephant ears up out of the pot and take it inside. You know, and just set it someplace where all the potting mix that's surrounding the bulbs can dry. And then just shake all that. Once this potting mix surrounding the bulbs is dry, just shake it all off. And then just take the elephant ears. You can put them in a cardboard box. If you have several of them, you don't want them necessarily laying on top of each other. So you can kind of, you can pull them apart. Check any of them. If any of them feel mushy, just throw those away and just layer some newspaper in between them and put them in a dark place like in your basement for the wintertime. Now, when you say cut the leaves up, do you mean the stalks and everything? Like everything, the yes. Ground level? Uh, yeah, everything. I always leave, because I do it a couple days before I actually usually dig them up. So I leave about an inch of the stalk so I know exactly where, let's say, the heart of the bulb is. So in other words, where the... The foliage is coming up out of the bulb. Because some of them, are, you know, I have a lot of leaves, my elephant ears, a lot. So I just kind of want to know where everything is when I start, left, say, lifting it up out of the pot. And I use, okay. sometimes I use the stems to actually lift it out. Okay. Now, I, second question. I have a couple of hibiscus trees that are in small pots. What do you do with them in the wintertime? If they're not, if they're the tropical-type hibiscus, they got to come in. But I will tell you, bringing those hibiscus in is not necessarily something that's going to be all that enjoyable. They're going to drop a huge amount of leaves. They may flower a little bit, but usually they just don't like being inside. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just one of those kind of circumstances where certain plants, yes, they're tropical, yes, they're hot, you know, they are technically a house plant, but some house plants just don't do as well inside, and hibiscus is one of those. So it might just die off in the wintertime? Well, it's not going to die. It's just going to be, you know, sort of messy. Like I say, it's going to drop probably 50% of its leaves. It may flower. you got to put it in a really super bright window. And, again, just like I was telling the lady with the, uh, the bonsai tree that she had, don't overwater it. So wait until uh, you see the potting mix shrink away from the inside of the pot and then water it thoroughly. And then it may be another month before that potting mix starts shrinking away before you water again. Okay. Sounds good. Great. Good luck. All right. Thanks. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go. But if you do have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 
436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know how much rain that you got yesterday in your yard, but the way to check if you don't have a rain gauge or something along that line is just go out and take a, you know, a shovel or a trowel or even just a weeding tool and push it into the ground and see how soft the ground is. Because, I mean, I my guess is there wasn't all that much rain. So consequently, your lawn and everything else has been through a pretty dry spell, and there has been some very windy days. So last week, actually on Saturday, let's see, I guess it was Saturday, I did watering. I soaked everything very, very well. My lawn is zoysia, but there's got some other you know crazy stuff and some bed stuff and everything. So I soaked it very well. So I think mine is fairly good. But again, I don't know how much rain actually happened in your neighborhood. So check your ground because as we get closer and closer to some cold weather, dehydrated soil, cold weather really can do some major damage to root systems of all kinds of plants, not just woody plants, herbaceous plants, and everything else. So right now, though, though, let's go to Baldwin and go into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hey, Mike. Uh, uh, glad to talk to you today. Hey, listen, um, uh, uh, one, one thing is uh, uh, I've lived in my house for 40 years out here in Baldwin, and in between my backyard and the neighbor's backyard, we joined to another street or subdivision, um, there's about 60 feet of woods between our houses, you know, in the backyards, and uh, probably about 100 feet long. Or, well, it's longer than that, but I'm just saying my backyard, okay? Right. And so he all of a sudden, he's lived there 20 years, and him all of a sudden thinks, oh, gee, I better thin out those woods. So he's been going through and getting the underbrush out, and now I see the back of his house, which I have not seen in 40 years. <laughs> and, and I don't like that. Um, so um, I want to replant well he has more of the backyard uh, the common the, the ground than i thought you know i thought i had half of it well i've only got about 20 feet into it you know so um what can i plant back in the wood you know the woods uh it's on a downhill slope what can i plant back there to um uh get some uh low cover you know that i can't see him in the backyard and you know, that kind of stuff. Now, I can't really see him uh, that much, but it's just the fact that I can see when his light's on, and all these years I never have. I didn't wow. even know he existed. Because then I have deer come through there all the time, and I have persimmon trees along the edge of the woods. Right. And I had honeysuckle, but he went, you know, just wild honeysuckle. And he went through, and he pulled, uh, he was cutting down all the honeysuckle and uh, uh, all the shrubbery, because he says, there's a lot of snakes in those woods. It's like, you know, I've lived here 40 years. <laughs> I've lived here 40 years. If I've seen one snake, you know, three snakes, you know, okay. Uh, so what can I do to help that? Basically, I would probably look at uh, planting maybe some of the spreading-type yews, so that would give you year-round, you know, ground or year-round screening. And uh, I would just dot them in wherever you could possibly do it. So like a Densiformis yew or a Nigra yew, and just don't prune them because they can get 8 to 10 feet high. So they're not going to get quite as big as a honeysuckle was. But it's going to take them a while to get there. I won't fool you. There's no getting around it. But in this kind of environment, they seem to be able to acclimate to a wooded circumstance much better than a lot of the other evergreen-type plants. Uh-huh. I, I sent away uh, to, to uh, the, the state or whatever, and I, and I got some um, 
you know, the Arbor Foundation or something. And right. I got like like 10 trees. I got a couple of redwoods and, you know, a couple of this and a couple of that. And I've kind of stuck those out there willy-nilly, you know. And now those, sure. you know, because you only get, you know, they're only like two foot tall, you know. Right. It'll take for years. But um, I was thinking, like, you know, if you know, plant some red, but, you know, something with low uh, 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 branching uh, trees, you know, like, like red buds or right. something, you know. Or something like that. Okay, okay, okay. I'll do that now. My my big problem is, I had a tree taken out in my front yard about four years ago, and they, you know, mulched it. You know, they they did the uh, digging up the root. You know, the the stump the, grinding. Right, right. And um, so I, it had a lot of. It was a big tree. It was a big oak tree. So I, uh, they got rid of a lot of the mulch, and I got rid of a lot of the mulch. I had to, you know, put it in a wheelbarrow and throw it in the woods and you know I kept going and going and going and I thought I did pretty good with it and then um my uh, yard was uh my brother uh, graded my yard and you know with topsoil and we put uh, you know uh, 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 sod on it and everything my problem is that over the past couple of years this year especially I'm getting these mushrooms and these things are humongous they're they're like getting like they're flat and they're spread out, and they're they're up to like a, a a foot in diameter. Right. You know, and so I'm thinking I need I got to get down in there and get more of that mulch stuff out of there. No, well, you're not going to be able to do it. So basically, what these mushrooms or toadstools or whatever they happen to be are growing on is the de- the dying which takes multiple years for a tree root to finally die. Once it really starts dying, imploding, that's when this mushroom growth starts happening. So there's nothing that you could do short of like bringing in a giant you know, bulldozer or something and you know, yanking it up because there's no way that you're going to be able to do it. You're just going to have to live with these mushrooms for a couple of years. There's no getting around it. A lot of times it could take any place between from the time, even grinding the stump out doesn't really get rid of the feeder roots, which are the ones that you know, these mushrooms are growing off of. Or even if they're not, the even stump grinding does not get rid of all the, let's say, the wood of the tree. So you're going to have this happen for another couple of years having these mushrooms grow. Oh, okay. So just so, don't worry about it. Okay, but I, I do uh, uh, cut the mushrooms out and, get, and, and throw them away. That's fine. You don't have to, but I'm just cutting the grass and everything else is probably going to get rid of them. I know, but you know they, they're just so big and they're they're <laughs> thick. You know, like they got like a they're they've got like a two inch um, a stem two inch stem in them. You know, right? Yeah, now, I mean, are, this is just going to happen. So okay, there's no getting around it. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. So so. And then, so eventually that'll, it might take a couple more years, but it'll all go away. Right, exactly. Because mushrooms have to grow on, you know, plant material. And once this root system has totally imploded, then there won't be anything for them to grow onto, and then they'll disappear. So thanks, Sue. Now let's head over to Belleville and go into Barbara's yard. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mike. I love your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I have, my question is, I have a small uh, apple tree, mm-hmm. about maybe five years old, and uh, the deer rubbed their antlers up against it and stripped off uh, about 15 inches of the bark. Is there anything that I can do to save the tree? Uh, is it bark all the way around, or is it just in one, you know, one sort of I scraped on one's of, place? About half of it. Ooh, that's, that's not, not good. good. Right. Uh, basically, what you can do, anything that's frayed, go out there with like a razor blade knife and cut any of the frayed stuff off, and then get some, like the corrugated black pipe, 
the PV, you know, the pipe that people, the plumbing pipe or whatever, the flexible stuff, slit it down, get it about, uh, oh, th- let's say, three feet long or a little bit longer than that. To cu- if, a, if you can, get it up to the height where the trunk, where the deers have been rubbing, and then pull it open and then put it around the trunk and protect physically your trunk. But uh, if they've knocked off, if they've rubbed off that much bark, that's not a good sign. Okay. So you're going to physically protect it with just, you know, the, the flexible corrugated black pipe, you know, a, you know, a section of it, what, however you know, length you need, cut it, and then just put it around the trunk. Will the bark ever grow back? Uh, it should. It's, going to be, it's not going to grow back the way that you might think. There's something called the cambium layer, and that's more or less the scabbing layer of the trunk. So after a couple years, you know, I would probably pull the, the stuff off, you know, let's say every, I don't want to say every season, but once or twice a year and just look and see and make sure it's healing itself. But you're going to be able to tell if it's, you know, healing itself just by the production of the leaves and everything else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Well, good luck with that. And uh, let's stay in Belleville and go over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hi, good morning. I have uh, two questions about the same problem. I have boxwoods in front of my house that are about 25 years old. They're about three and a half feet tall, and they're overgrowing the sidewalk, and we need to replace the sidewalk. And every contractor I've talked to says you got to get these boxwoods out of the way so that we can get close to the far, close to them to finish the, uh, the sidewalk. And I, I understand you can transplant them. But I thought maybe if I could dig up the side of where the sidewalk is and push the boxwoods back, like on a 45-degree angle while they're working on the sidewalk, and then bring it back to where they were, uh, you know, and and keep them where they are. I love where they are. They're in front of the house. They look beautiful. That would be one option because I don't want to transplant them. And the other one would be, can I cut them to like a foot and a half high, and would they come back as old as they are? No. To be honest with you, neither one of these circumstances is going to work. Oh. I mean, mean, it's just not going to happen. If they were younger, maybe. If they were, let's say, put in within the last couple years, possibly. But at their age and everything else, nothing is going to, I mean, neither one of these situations is going to help. Well, could they be transplanted someplace else on the property? Uh, you could try transplanting them, but success-wise is going to be really somewhat limited. I mean, just because, first of all, they're broadleaf evergreens. I mean, they're great plants and everything else, but at their age and everything, and I'm assuming they're a hedge. I don't know if they are or not, but the root systems yeah, are. are probably intertangled. And so you're going right. to, like, some of them are really going to lose a big amount of root system, the feeder roots. So you could try it, but I wouldn't, you know, I would, if it, depending upon how much effort it takes, that's probably what I would be most concerned with. Okay. If you're going right. to, because you may, it may work, but the chances are not all that good. And the reason why I'm saying that is when the Ridgeway Center at the Botanical Garden was being built, before it was the construction started, there was a bunch of azaleas and boxwood and things like that. I was working at the Botanical Garden and the English Woodland Garden. I went down with a backhoe and dug up some of these larger, older shrubs and took them up to the Woodland Garden just to, you know, kind of, let's say, transplant them to a place because of the new building was going to be built. And the success, even getting a huge root system and everything else with the backhoe, 
you know, I the success rate was not very good. Right. Okay, I understand. How how long will these uh, these boxwoods live? Uh, yeah, if you, I mean, if they're well taken care of, they could go on for you know thirty plus forty years. You know, before they start you know, kind of getting a little bit thin. But usually, what happens is if, if you just let them go and don't do any pruning, they can keep going and going and going. They're, I mean, height wise, not that uh, you know what we're talking about, but just age wise and everything else. But usually, it's a pruning that screws up things because we keep them where they have a point where there no buds are going to be able to be produced or no leaves from the buds are going to be able to be produced, and aesthetically, they're just going to go downhill. I see. Okay. All right, Mike. Thank you. Yep. Sorry. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And one thing I should have probably mentioned to the gentleman about the boxwood, also when you're putting in new cement, concrete, whatever, the pH is going to be pretty darn high. So for anybody that has this done, whether they have to take out their shrubs or not, just realize that you might want to have a soil test done prior to that and then after it as well and find out what you have to add to the soil to get the pH right because Anything that's evergreen, whether it's a yew, whether it's a boxwood, whether it's an azalea, whether it's a holly, anything, they want an acidic soil. And new concrete is going to be salty, so alkaline, and that's when you have to compensate with adding amendments to your soil. Let's go now to Ann, and Ann lives in St. Louis. Hi, Ann. Hi, good morning. I just want your opinion on uh, fertilizing uh, potted annuals like petunias and lantana and whatever. I mean, mine still look pretty. I assume we're going to have beautiful, warm fall weather. You mean as yes far as no. this as far as this year goes? Yeah, fertilizing them so they'll look nice for the rest of October and into November. Yeah, uh, I would say go ahead and do it. You don't necessarily have to do it full rate, but I'm mm-hmm. continuing to fertilize. I have begonias and you know several other annuals too, and I fertilized them probably uh, maybe two or three weeks ago, and I'll probably do it once more closer to the end of the month. And it's, you know, for the, you know, it's just going to make them healthier. It's not going to make them, you know, let's say weatherproof if it gets cold or anything else. It's not going to cause any kind of growth usually. It's just going to help them maintain what they are right now. What about a blanket flower that's in the ground? It's still blooming, and that's a perennial. Right. So I would not, any kind of perennial, I would not fertilize going into wintertime. Well, I also, the guy, you had a guy called earlier about overwintering hibiscus right and i just wanted to say i have great luck i mean yeah you're right they do drop all those leaves and right they terrible but they you know in the spring you got you got a hibiscus and i do the same with geraniums had really good luck i have a i stick them in the basement i've got an east facing sliding door so i guess it's enough light and uh, they do great that's yeah, perfect. And I mean, I'm just I'm just forewarning people that there's, you know, a lot of people go, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, as long as you understand that's what's going to happen, that's why I try mm-hmm. to emphasize it. You can have some great luck and you can take them back outside. And, yep. you know, they're not necessarily hugely expensive, but it will save you some money. Well, it's like instant summer, you know, when right. you stuff back out there. <laughs> exactly. Well, Thank thanks. You. Yeah, thanks, Ann. And now let's go to Norma. And Norma lives in St. Louis. Hi, Norma. Hey, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I was going to ask about the brown mushrooms, but somebody answered that question. 
So I'll move on to hydrangeas. Uh, what is the best way to prepare hydrangeas uh, for winter? And also, my hydrangeas always, they never look white. They always look kind of light green. And mine don't have very many flowers. And when I drive along the road, I see other people's hydrangeas, and they've got like 30 or 40 blossoms on them. What am I doing wrong, or do I have a different kind of hydrangea? You probably, do? I you, don't know. Yeah, you probably have a different variety. So that's probably what it is, more so than anything else. When does your bloom, Does it do they bloom in the spring or do they bloom in the summer? They, they kind of bloom spring into summer. So you probably have one of the old-time varieties, and that's probably you know what the circumstances. Are you fertilizing them? Uh, once in a while when I get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that can certainly have an impact, too. So, yeah. And how old are your plants? Oh, they're probably three or four years old. Oh, so that's not very old. I would say oh. get into a routine of start fertilizing. As soon as the leaves start emerging in the springtime off the stems, fertilize them. And fertilize them, you know, monthly all the way up and probably until June or so. And use an acid-based fertilizer. Okay. And then also, how do, how do I prepare the plants for winter? Should I just cut them off a couple inches above the ground? Uh, you don't really need to. I mean, there's no reason to do that, especially if they flower in the springtime. You're cutting off the potential flower buds for next year. Anything that flowers in the spring is setting flower buds right now as we're speaking to each okay. other. Okay. So don't prune right. until, if you're going to prune, prune after they finish flowering or after the bracts turn the greenish color that, you know. Or, okay. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And, uh, All right. We probably won't be able to get another call in because it's almost time to go to the news. But everybody, again, I'm going to emphasize this whole watering thing. you got to keep that ground moist. It doesn't have to be wet by any means. And not only is that for the benefit of your plant material, it's for the benefit of your soil. Your soil is what feeds your plants, whether it's with you put fertilizer down or anything else. The soil converts fertilizer into something the plants can use. Without that soil being good and healthy and full of all the, let's say, components that are necessary for a good, healthy soil, then you could put all the fertilizer down that you want to, but it's not really going to grow and cause your plants to be healthy or grow or anything else. So just realize that the soil is the key. That's why putting compost down, you know, whether it's on lawn after coeration or mixing in compost when you're preparing the soil, bed spaces, that's why that is so crucial for keeping your soil healthy. Healthy soil is a way to have good plants. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening and welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but I have a quick question for Mr. Calhoun. Uh, mm -hmm. We heard the thing about the coffins. I know <laughs> yeah. you have to work this weekend because Brian Kelly's out. Uh -huh. Would you have entered a coffin laying for thirty hour thing? You for know the the I, I think the claustrophobia of having it shut and being trapped in there would be too much for me. But if you can have the front of the coffin open and they talk about you can have your friends there to hang out during the park's opening hours and you get an hour to go to the you know every hour you get to go to the restroom for a couple of minutes. So. 
I think those would make it a little bit more bearable for me. If you're going to close me into a coffin, then uh, probably dark. not. I don't think so. Hey, by the way, a traffic note just passed. Uh, stalled vehicle, I-170 southbound at Natural Bridge on the right shoulder. Another stall, 64 eastbound past Lindbergh. So a couple of things to watch out for if you're driving this I just, morning. I was just curious about coffins and you. So. <laughs> I won't ask why. <laughs> Both of them start with C, Calhoun that's, and Coffins. That's true. We've got the themes today. Absolutely. The Greggs, the Michaels, and the Coffins. Right, exactly. Well, thanks. <laughs> yes, folks, if you would like to have any questions, concerns, or comments on air, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And thanks for having me on your show. We can talk about plant selection. We can talk about how your annuals are doing, like one of the last calls last hour was, should I continue feeding my annuals, you know, lantanas or whatever it happens to be? Yes, you can feed them once more. I wouldn't certainly continue feeding them too much more after that because the plants are really, the growth is not going to be, let's say, astronomically great because you're fertilizing them, but you're giving them just a little bit more food to keep them a little bit stronger, to keep them a little bit look better looking. How about your bulbs? Have you planted your bulbs? You're thinking about planting your bulbs, your daffodils, your tulips, your grape hyacinths, your onions, whatever it happens to be. Yes, you can certainly do that. You can call about it. Your edibles, your cool season vegetables, your tomatoes and all that other, well, they're pretty much shot. They're not going to be doing anything. You won't even see any tomatoes ripening. You won't see any peppers ripening from this point. Any of the summer type stuff, they are just going to be kind of shutting down. Your ground covers, keeping the leaf debris from building up in your ground covers, yes, you should be doing that. On your lawn as well. Your houseplants, prepare them to come indoors. I have a couple houseplants that I put in and out every year. I'm not going to move mine in yet. I have them up close to the house so I'm going to leave them out for a little bit longer. Probably within the next two weeks or so, I'm going to bring them inside. Your roses, don't do any pruning on your roses. No fertilizer on your roses or anything else. Your trees and shrubs, anything that's spring flowering, you can prune them. It won't hurt them. But what you is going to happen is you're just going to reduce the flower count for next year. Your water garden, your vines, and everything else. Your clematis, you can give us a call about all that stuff. And... Uh, Greg is producing. So when you call, Greg will be answering the phone. He'll ask you for your name and where you're calling from, and that's all you need to do. And he's very capable, and he actually does pretty well on spelling people's names, although a couple of them, I go, what name is that? Hmm. No, he's great. But anyway, so if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation where I can deal with problem solving, aesthetics, and everything else, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage is my email address and phone number, so you can contact me. And today, this, which is the tip of the trowel today and every day in the second hour, it's a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. And that is 636-861-3344. Again, there are so many. I have like five or six sheets. And this is not all of the garden clubs that are in this region. You know, some of them are spread out, you know, further away from others and everything else. But it's just absolutely amazing. These And the information that's shared by the people in these garden clubs, it's absolutely phenomenal. Just 
whether you're into herbs, whether you're into bonsai, whether you're into boxwood, whether you're into iris, it doesn't matter whether you're into hostas. There are plant societies, and you can just, you could spend years learning all the information by growing the plants and having successes and failures and everything else that you could probably get in maybe two or three meetings by going to one of the plant societies, whether it's roses, as, as I said before, water gardens in various cities. And some of them don't specialize just in specific type plants. Therefore, you know, let's say the Boone County Garden Club, the Caseyville Gardeners, the Daffy Dill Garden Club, Design Concepts Garden Club. So they're, I mean, they do the full gamut. So you can go to the Missouri Botanical Gardens website. That's mobot.org. And there is just an amazing amount of plant societies. And those particular ones on that list are usually ones that meet, you know, at the Botanical Garden. But there are many, many, many more beyond that as well. So the tip of the trial goes out to all the plant societies and all the people that do all the work for them. Uh, Boy, it's just amazing what can happen by going to a few, if not really getting, let's say, addicted to going to the meetings because great people, great information, and it's always being shared. Let's go to Margaret, and she is in West County. Hi, Margaret. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have two questions. Um, Can I still plant some shrubs now or is it getting too cold no 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 this is a great time to plant shrubs now if i will forewarn you if they're broadleaf evergreens like hollies uh let's say azaleas those type things i would be a little bit uh, iffy about them but because going into winter that may not be the best or ideal circumstance but anything is deciduous certainly you can do it okay or conifers i mean you can do things with needles too okay good um I thought I had done my research about what to plant along this particular area in our condominium, and I was looking for something that was drought-tolerant, shade, and deer-resistant. So I bought three Ikea plant shrubs, but what I hadn't considered was voles and moles. And I'm thinking that one of those things has caused these shrubs to lose their leaves and also look like they're dying. Is there anything I can do to save them? Uh, just, you know, keep them well watered. Don't do any fertilizing going into this time of year. Now, if you got, so you see the mole tunnels, is that's what you're seeing? Yeah, so, you see these big lumps, yes. So the mole tunnels are there. The voles don't tunnel. They just basically use old mole tunnels. Now, voles will eat root systems on plant material, but moles don't. But the moles cause damage by like going around the root systems or through the root systems, and that causes, let's say, a little gap, and then that air pocket you know, dehydrates the root system. So if this is a condominium circumstance, they should probably take a look at putting, you know, having a professional service come out and putting some traps. Okay. But do you think these shrubs are going to make it or if they've lost a lot of their leaves? And uh, how will- yeah, l- losing leaves this late in the season, especially after the screwy weather we've had this year, I wouldn't be overly concerned, but probably I would wait until maybe, let's say, February, then go out and on a couple stems on a, each shrub, just take your thumbnail and scrape the underside of the of the uh, twig and see if it's still green underneath there. If it is, you've got a chance. If it's not green, then that particular twig or branch or whatever is dead. You think I should prune them back a little bit? Yeah. You can. It won't make that much difference as far as the pruning, as far as the health or anything else. 
So okay. it's really up to you if you want to prune. All right. Thank you. Yep. Good luck with that. And yeah, it's unfortunate that you got a situation like that. Let's take one more call and then we will take a break. Lisa from High Ridge. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. Hi. Um, I had purchased some perennial herbs in the spring, and they look great in the pots that I planted them on the deck, but I didn't know if they would grow back in the pots if I leave them outside this winter, or should I have planted them in the garden? Uh, It's going to be a roll of the dice. I've grown herbs in pots and had great success with lavenders and rosemaries and things like that for uh, several years, but then they finally sort of like... Yeah. Okay. So it's just going to be, you know, I don't know how big the pots are, but there has to be an adequate amount of potting mix around them in that pot to act as an insulator for the cold winter temperatures. And then do you just cut them back if I try that? Yeah, you can, or just leave them alone. And then, I mean, the foliage could make it through the wintertime because usually the ones that are perennials are going to be evergreen types. Okay, yeah, I've got thyme, rosemary, oregano, chives, and mint. So I... The mint will survive, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Okay. The other ones, it's going to be a little iffy. Okay. Well, they're in 10-inch terracottas, and I wasn't sure if I should plant them in the ground or just buy new ones next year. Well, ideally, if you have the situation, what I would do is just dig a hole in a garden space someplace and just set the pot down in the hole. Oh, okay. And that way you get the insulation of the soil, and that should help them. You know, that's not going to guarantee you're going to have success but it should make it so you're going to have a greater chance of having success with them. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yep. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Colette lives in St. Louis. Colette, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and thank you for taking my call. Sure. Our daughter has a rare night-blooming cactus orchid. Are you familiar with this? I'm not familiar with a cactus orchid, but I'm familiar with a night-blooming cactus. Okay, it does not look like a cactus, though. No, it doesn't. It has really flat leaves and definitely has an orchid look. Okay, it's very spindly. It just blooms once a year. Right. Now, it just bloomed this past week, and the flower is gorgeous. Is there any way to get that to bloom more than once a year? She brings it in during the winter um, and brings it out during the warm months. Basically, no. I mean, you could even go to the botanical garden where they have these, and it's once a year, and it's related to length of daylight, it's related to temperature, related to lots of different things. Even if it was in the house all the time and everything else, there's nothing that you can do to, let's say, get more blooms per year. So it just really blooms once a year? Exactly. Wow. And really, and I mean, you know, these are cuttings... You're grown from, let's say, plants that are native to tropical, this particular plant, cactus is native to the tropical parts of the world. It's blooming at a time of year when I think it's a moth, but I'm not positive. A nighttime moth comes around and, you know, let's say fertilizes that flower. So, in other words, it can produce seed and things like that. So, the rest of the year, this particular moth is not around or anything else. That's why it blooms at a specific time and just for, you know, once a year circumstance. Oh, well, thank you so much. Greatly appreciated. 
Yeah, Thank good. You. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate, but you know, I mean, take a selfie with it when it's in bloom, and you can enjoy it through the entire year. Villa Ridge, and that's Chris's yard. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Um, good. Hey, um, I made a mistake about a year ago and allowed some neighbors to open up uh, some or take some trees out along the property line so they could see the lake I have on my property. And now I'm not liking that. They're very tall cedars, and I want to go back in there. And I've got poplars and cedars all over my property, and I wanted to see if I could possibly take some poplars and cedars and intersperse them. You know, get some. What I was wondering, what size should I get? Um, how big could I dig them up? And then um, with that about how far apart should I put up to, to repopulate this opening that they created? Uh, basically, you know, as far I wouldn't worry too much about putting far apart necessarily because you want it to be just a thick grove and just let the plants sort of like fight it out. But what I would do as I, because you want a natural setting, and I'm assuming you're talking about digging things out of your own property and transplanting them to this new location or this location. Yes, sir. That's, that's and so about. to keep I didn't it. Know how tall I should go with the, the ones I try to dig up. Yeah, I would not get too big because of you know the transplant shock and everything else may be a little rough, especially on the juniper slash cedars. The things that are deciduous, you know, can handle a little bit more. But I would just make sure that I get some various sizes. So you could get some that are pretty good size. You know, let's say five or six feet. You could get some that are one or two feet, and just mix it so it looks like you know a natural setting type circumstance. Okay, and then how much time do I have here this fall to do that? You can until you can dig plants really until the ground freezes and transplant them to you know the new location. I'd have the spots already set, you know, the holes dug and everything else. So when you dig them, you can move them right in. And then, as I always say, when you're transplanting anything, make sure the night before you're going to dig it to move it that you water the plant to help the root system not to get so dehydrated due to the, let's say, transplanting. Oh, super. Okay, well, thank you very much. Yeah, and no fertilizer in the hole or anything like that, so... That's okay. you know, something that can really cause problems because fertilizer can dehydrate root systems, so you don't want to do that. Well, thanks, Chris, and now let's go to Rick in St. Louis. Hi, Rick. Hey, hi, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Hey, I've uh, been gardening for 40 years, and uh, <clears throat> I finally, uh, uh, last year, didn't have any production on my, my main thing in the garden is tomato plants, mm-hmm. and uh, I went and got some a scoop of the black gold last fall and tilled that in. And uh, I have I buy my plants from different places. And uh, you, I even bought some uh, tomato plant food mm-hmm. for them this year. Well, my my plants were big and uh, beautiful, and I had multiple uh, buds. And I even used blossom set on them, and I thought, man, I'm going to have great production. Well, I did, only they were about the size of golf balls on different, some big boys and jet stars, celebrities, and uh, they just didn't produce uh, uh, big big, uh, tomato plants at all. The normal size. The normal size, thank you. 
And uh, so uh, what I'm going to do is take a soil test. I'm going to send it off. But do they, my, oh, uh, I had too much alkaline. It was a little over seven. Okay. So I did, I did add some sulfate, I believe it was. Right. And uh, it's still, I just checked it yesterday, it's still uh, seven. So if I send my soil off, will they actually tell me if I give them the size? how much that I need of this or that to correct everything? It depends upon where you send the soil test, but they're not going to tell you that, you know, I mean, the amount of this, let's say sulfur or sulfate or iron sulfur or whatever you happen to need, the label should tell you exactly how much you need to put down. But you're saying to, in other words, how much you need to do to reduce the soil pH down below where you want it. You can't really do it in one fail swoop. It's going to be probably a process, you know, of adding it several different times to get that soil pH down. If you try to put enough stuff, regardless of what you're trying to do, on the soil all at one time and try to get that soil down to wherever you want it, or let's say up, let's say your soil is too acidic and you're trying to raise the pH level. You cannot do it all at once. It's going to be a slow, gradual process. That's the best way for your plant material. And your plant material this year, there's a lot of the tomatoes, there were some that had pretty good success, some had great success, but a lot of them that I saw and people calling in, didn't have really good success with their tomatoes this year, and it was related to the weather. Even though you're doing the watering, you're doing everything exactly as you should, the weather just plays a role. I mean, it is like sort of the ruler, regardless of what we do. I've had less. Uh, actually, I, I put that in early, even before I put my plants, and I waited about, oh, two, two months, two and a half months, and put it in again, four pounds, because I've got a 200-square-foot garden. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I'm, I, the last two, two or three years, you know, just my gardening, it, it's the old saying that uh, some guys say, all you got to do is put the plant, in, uh, the plant in the ground and watch it grow. That's baloney. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've always had success, except uh, now, and it's a raised garden. So, you know, it's just a matter of the weather getting, you know, nuttier and nuttier and nuttier. And that's, you know, part because you're probably doing everything exactly as you should. So you're just going to have to keep going and maybe change varieties a little bit and see what, you know. Yes. Yes, I did that. Right. And I guess, I guess it's just uh, the luck, the luck of the uh, draw. Right. Exactly. Well, I thank you very much. Yeah. Thank thanks, Rick. And good luck with your tomatoes. And the KMWX Southwest, Southeast Missouri State University Student of Achievement Program is back for the 26th year to nominate a junior level student who deserves recognition for their achievements. Go to KMWX.com. Go there today. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Lena is from Shiloh, Illinois. Hi, Lena. Hi, Mike. My question is, my backyard has really taken a hit this summer due to mole activity, and I had three large trees taken out and the stumps ground. I was going to have the ground aerated and reseeded next week, 
In your opinion, would it be better to wait until the spring to do this? You could probably do it now because the ground is still pretty warm. But you're going to, you know, just realize that the root systems of the trees are still going to be viable. They're still going to be fighting for, you know, nutrients and moisture and everything else. So anything that you do, even putting sod down, is going to be a struggle for a while. When I say a while, I mean a couple years. So you're probably going to have to overseed you know, every May and every September or, you know, early October, whatever, for multiple years to get a thick lawn. Okay. So don't expect it to look great, you know, initially or anything else. Okay. Well, fortunately, I've taken care of the moles. They're gone, at least for now. (laughs) Right. But, you know, you have a nice yard or else soil-wise or else the moles wouldn't be there because moles are there after the earthworms. And if they happen to run across a grub, that's, you know, that's an appetizer for them. But their main diet is earthworms. So if you didn't have a lot of earthworms in your soil, then consequently you wouldn't have the moles. Yes, and I've got a lot of earthworms. There you go. All right. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And now let's go to Carlisle and into Barbara's yard. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I have a couple questions. Uh, Is it too late to trim my euonymus? Uh, shrubbery. Uh, no. Are you talking about the burning bush? Or are you talking about the evergreen ones? The evergreen ones. Personally, I don't like to prune evergreens going into winter, but you're probably fine with it. Just make sure how far you cut back that you still have plenty of good leaves because if you look down inside of any kind of evergreen, whether it has needles or broadleaf, you know, like the euonymus leaf, if you get down in there, the center of the plant always, they, they never have any foliage or anything. So don't cut it back to the point where you're seeing the ends of the, let's say, sticks with no leaves. Right. Make sure it's all green yet. Right. Okay. And one other one is I'm going to replace uh, some plants in my landscape, uh, some flowering plants or anything else. It's on the north side of the house. What's the best thing to plant? As far as on the north side, is it you're talking up close to the house? Are we talking underneath trees? Where are we talking? As up close to the house. With, um, there's a three-foot area there with, with rocks and everything around it in the landscape. Well, the hosta is always a champion of the shaded areas. So, I mean, some of the hostas with bigger you know, foliage is going to be the best. The ones with variegation, in other words, you know, different color stripes are not quite as good. So like Hosta, you know, Big Daddy, Hosta Francis Williams, those are really good ones. Also, there's a type of coral bells called Palace Purples, and they have a purplish leaf. That's a good one. You could put some ferns in there, like a Japanese painted fern as well. So there are several different things that would go in there quite easily. And for a ground cover, something like a Pachysandra you could use because it's not as invasive as some of the other ones. What was that called? Pachysandra, P-A-C-H-Y-S-A-N-D-R-A. Okay, all right. Uh, I've had azaleas, azaleas there, but they've been blooming in October instead of the spring of the year. Well, that's I've seen quite a few. I, won't, I shouldn't say quite a few, but within the last, let's say, couple of weeks, I've seen several azaleas in people's yards that are in flower right now. So the, what that means is basically those flower buds are not going to be able to reset themselves. So the, the plants got really screwed up again by our weather. So that's right. why they're blooming out of sequence. Okay. So it, it would be okay to plant those still on the north side of the house, too, right? Yeah, just not too close to the foundation because the alkalinity of your foundation. 
Okay, it's about two foot from the foundation. Yeah, I would probably push him out a little bit further if you could. Okay. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate your help. Certainly. And now let's go to Collinsville and into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hi there, um, Mike. Uh, thank you for being being on my show. Uh, I, I have two questions. Uh, one is, uh, uh, do you recommend applying fertilizer to the lawns in the fall at at uh, half the rate to uh, sustain it through the winter? If you're talking about cool season lawns like fescues and bluegrasses, if you use a winterizer type fertilizer, you can do it at regular rate. Oh, okay. And I also have one about crabgrass that I just uh, could never figure out. I put down a pre-emergence in the spring, or you know, and and then the crabgrass does not grow because it's because the seeds have been kill, killed, you know, Correct. when they sprout. And then later on, like in June or something, cr- more crabgrass comes up. Where does that come from? If if, if if you know if if I've already killed all the seeds. Basically, you haven't killed all the seeds. There's still some seeds that are there, or the seeds can be blown in. They can come in on the bottom of shoes. Who cuts your grass? Me. Okay, so you're cutting your own grass. So, I mean, some seeds can just lay there dormant. So, in other words, they're not necessarily going to all germinate all at once. So you're just getting some germination from seeds that just didn't germinate because they were deeper in the soil or this or that or whatever it happens to be. So that's why you're getting, let's say, that second wave. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thanks. Yeah. Mike. Yeah, it's a, yeah, I mean, the crabgrass this year, I've never seen a crabgrass year like this year. It was just prolific everywhere. And, uh, I mean, not everywhere, but so, so many different places. I saw yards that became just nothing but crabgrass. So hopefully yeah. yours isn't quite that bad. But thanks, Bill. And now let's go to Ron in O'Fallon. Hi, Ron. Hi, thanks for taking my question. It, mine's pretty similar to some other people with regard to aerating and um, planting grass, grass seed. Um, we had our yard sprayed about a week ago, and I failed, I should have told them not to put down the um, uh, weed killer, but apparently that was in, included in that. And so, I w- so I'm trying to figure out whether I should try to plant this in two or three weeks, plant grass seed, or whether to wait till spring. Uh, to do that, and then an- another thought that came to mind was put that if I wait till spring, um, should can I still put the pre-emergent down early and then grass seed after that? And uh, when should I plant if I wait till spring? Basically, you should not try to put seed down in sort of the same season that you put the pre-emergent. I mean, it's just going to be really tough. You're going to be putting the pre-emergent down when the forsythia is in bloom. But if you're going to have to wait a couple, really probably two months, depending upon what type of pre-emergence you're putting or getting put down. But in essence, that could really impact, you know, let's say the production, the, the, the maturity of the grass seed germinating and surviving. So that's what I'd be really worried about. Also, even just putting a broadleaf weed killer down, that can impact, you know, the grass seed germination as well. So you're almost better to like decide what you want to do and do that as opposed to trying to do both of them in one season because we just don't know what our weather's going to be like or anything else, and that's really kind of the ruling circumstance of some of these situations. You can see or read that says, okay, 60 days after you do this, then you should be able to put seed down. 
But way, you know, when the weather is certain ways, it's not going to mean that that 60 days is really the true date. Yeah, so, um, so if you watered your lawn a lot, would that make it work? Would that make the, uh, say, um, weed killer? So you're trying to dilute it by using water? Yeah. Not necessarily, right. because it's just... I mean, you could try it, but I, you know, that's not necessarily something that's going to be able to work. You, like I said, if you got the grass seed there, you don't necessarily want it to stay in your garage over the wintertime or things like that. So, yeah, go ahead and try to water and then, you know, put the seed down. But uh, it may not be all as successful as you want. And just realize, even if you got a good lawn, that the seed germination rate is still not going to be all that great. We're you know, kind of getting on the end of the, let's say, seeding season. Yeah. Okay. So then, if I wait till spring, I and then would it be advantageous to aerate now or wait till the spring to aerate? I would probably wait till spring, aerate, put the seed down, no pre-emergent at all, and then put some compost down. All right. Thanks so much. Certainly. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We will be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense, or yeah, Investing Sense with uh, Andy Smith and Bob Richards. 11 o'clock, we'll bring in the Helotech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby. 1 o'clock, the Rick Edelman Show, and there's all kinds of stuff leading up to the Blackhawks and Blues hockey game later on tonight. Grace lives in South County. Hi, Grace, how are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for your call. Maybe we'll call you. Um, I have a question. The lady who called in earlier about the uh, once-a-year blooming uh, orchid? Yeah. Well, it's actually a cactus. Well, is it called a knight, uh, queen, king of the night or queen of the night? Is that the same thing? It could be a night-blooming cirrus is the name I know it by. Okay. Well, I have three of them. And I was very shocked that I had, they bloomed three times, three different times. And the one of my had bloomed about six or seven or eight flowers. Wow. wow. And my question is, I have some that one that has a very long shoot on it. Can I trim that off before I bring it in the house? Uh, I would probably not. Oh, okay. So, I mean, you're telling you, it kind of looks like a pencil coming out of it? Yeah. Yeah. And it gets leaves off of the side of it? Exactly. So I wouldn't cut that off. I mean, it's, I mean they get, they're kind of ugly and scraggly yeah. looking. But uh, I would leave it alone, especially if you've had that kind of success. Um, uh, also, should they be root-bound? I mean, right now they're Absolutely. very root-bound. Yeah, very, very root-bound. Root okay, should I repot them before winter? No. Oh, okay. Never yeah. repot going into, you know, going into winter. Repot coming out of winter. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, they are ugly and they take up a lot of room, but the <laughs> flowers are absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Exactly. And Thanks, Grace. The flowers, I still have three flowers that are, have bloomed already. Should I cut those off or leave them on? Uh, if the flowers are spent, then cut them off. Cut them off. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Yep. yep. Carrie lives in St. Louis. Carrie, how are you? Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for taking my call. I sure. really appreciate it. I'm curious to know if I can plant bulbs in about an 18-inch planter to bloom, of course, in the spring. And if I can, where would I put that for the next four or five months? Uh, basically, I plant in, you know, I have some of my pots that I put bulbs in, tulips, daffodils, you know, and actually some of the minor bulbs as well. And uh, I just, you know, I have the potting mix, well-drained. I have drainage holes in the bottom. And I just leave the pots wherever they happen to be. 
So in other words, I don't move them any special place or anything else. Now, some years there's been a time where we've had a severe, severe winter, and actually the pots have, you know, they didn't have enough, let's say, potting mix around them on the smaller pots that uh, it didn't insulate the bulbs, and the bulbs got frozen slash rotted. Most of the pots I have are bigger than that, but I would say don't put them underneath the eave. Just leave them, you know, out where they can get the rain, the snow, and everything else. Okay, I don't have them any place right now. Where would be ideal? Just out? Yeah, out and not underneath an eave. So, I mean, out on a patio, out on a deck, you know, something like that. Okay, and I would say not to plant the bulbs too close to the edges of the pot? Exactly. And don't make okay. sure the bulbs are not touching each other either. Oh, and they, that doesn't need to be covered with compost or anything like that on top? Well, you can put some mulch. I, you know, I put mulch on the top of mine. I either, you know, some years I get the St. Louis composting mulch. Last year what I did is something a little different. I went over to Christie Park, which is right across the street, picked up a bunch of pine cones and used that for mulch just, you know, for a different look. All right. That sounds great. Thanks so much, Mike. Yep. And now let's go to Barbara from Town & Country. Hi, Barbara. Hi. How are you? Thank sure. you, Mike, for taking my call. Sure. We have topiary rose trees that go down our sidewalk. i got about 25 of them. And they're beautiful, and they really make a statement. But sometimes I, I'm not quite sure how to protect them over the winter. So I was wondering if compost would be something good to put around the base. Each one of them has been planted in a wire basket to keep the uh, the voles from chewing on the roots. Basically, the root system should be fine as it is. You can put some compost slash mulch around the root system, but it's the top growth. That's usually where the winter damage is. Right. So in other words, and there's not, I mean, some people wrap them and burlap up and do all this other stuff. I mean, I've even, you know, you read things that say, pull them up and lay them down and bury them and all this crazy stuff. But uh, yeah. just realize that uh, if we have a severe winter, the tops of some of them may get killed off. Okay. So is composting something that I want to put around the base? I've been putting leaves, but I'm thinking. Compost would be fine. You know, you just don't want it too deep or anything else because this uh, tree rose is three different plants. It's the root system, right. it's the trunk, and then the rose on the top. Yes. Okay. And and on your show, this has been a few years ago, somebody said put that uh, foam like what you put over your pipes in the wintertime. Right. So I put that up the uh, trunk of the trees, and that seems to really work as well. So. <laughs> You guys are great. Thank you. Well, thanks. And now, let's, Larry from Wood River, could you do it kind of quick? Yes, sure. Thank you for your program. We have a banana plant that's about 12 feet, and what should I do for the winter? Some people have, you know, have started to leave them out. What I would recommend doing is whenever you want to, from this point forward, is just cut the whole trunk off, leaving about a stub of about a couple inches. Then ultimately you're going to just dig, you know, whenever you feel like it, dig up the entire root system and bring it inside. Now there have been people that have left them outside and put about six or eight or ten inches of mulch over the top of them, and they've survived that way. But that's not necessarily the recommended way to do it. Okay. So another, Thank and you. watch it. Watch out when you cut the trunk. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but the sap of bananas will stain your clothes like unbelievable, and you can't get the stain out regardless of what you do. Okay. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> right. And there, I just, you know, I just know that from you know the year I spent in the climate trial. 
pruning the banana leaves and everything else, all of a sudden I started seeing these spots, you know, on my uniforms, botanical garden uniforms, and it was because of the banana sap. So I don't know what that sap is or anything else. But like I say, there are people that leave their bananas and their cannas and lots of, you know, let's say tropical-type plants outside because of our weather changing and everything else. So that may work for you, but I would say dig it up and bring it inside, put it in the basement. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.